Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. You are gay. Lesbian, bisexual, and transgender. You're stressed out. You're like, oh my goodness, how do I do all this stuff and come out of the closet, be who I want to be? How do I live my gay LGBTQ life? Well, first you take a breath. And you realize your wellness is at the core of all of this. And for those of you that are listening who happen to be an ally in our world, we know you get stressed too. It has nothing to do with your gender, your sexuality, any of that stuff. But what happens when you finally like realize your functional nutrition, you taking care of yourself in so many different ways is what can revolutionize your life. And it can bring you to a place where you can get through some chronic illnesses, you can lose weight, you can be happier, all these things start to happen for you, but then you don't do anything about it. Well, I hope we're going to change that a little bit today on Life Uncloseted, because we're coming out of the closet about being better in our bodies and being who we are, and especially for my beautiful transgender community. I think you're going to love what this guest is doing and how she's approaching life. She's got a beautiful story to share about herself, her husband, why she stepped into the spaces she is and what she's doing for everyone. But specifically, she's even inviting people into her work as transgender and even ex-vets into this space. So there's, we got so much to cover. I need to say, Rick, shut the hell up and let's get on with the show. Uh, Andrea Nakayama is here. She is a functional nutrition person. We've had a whole lot of fun even before we started this. So I really do want to like, let's just dive in, Andrea. Yeah, and, I feel like uh, we did a whole podcast already. We did. Okay. And well, of course we did because you have a podcast and it's only 15 minutes. She's like, Rick, we're done. Can I go now? I'm like, no, honey, this is like a 30 minute podcast. So, uh, but anyway, so welcome from Portland, Portland, Yay. right? Yay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. And so I'm going to shut up because she's got everything planned. She's, she's another podcaster, so she's going to do what she does. And no, I'm kidding. So, so wow. Nutrition. I was one of those. I told you that before we came on there. Yeah. I do. I have a, my bachelor's is in nutrition and dietetics. And I was halfway through that program. I'm like, I know I don't want to do this, but it's like, it's too late. It's too late. I don't want to be in college longer either. So I got a, a, a double bachelor in hotel restaurant management too. But um, I appreciate this because I have seen what dialing in to my own nutrition and I dial in differently. I mean, I'm a huge like fasting person. I love intermittent fasting. That's how I live my life. And man, I love what it does for my body. But tell us a little bit about the work you do. Let's start there. Like, yeah. What, yeah. What does functional nutrition people do? I you know? know. Yeah. So I'm a functional medicine nutritionist 
context. And um, what that means is we're looking at the body in a very different way. So nutrition, as I like to say, is more than just the food we eat. Nutrition is about growth, metabolism, and repair. So we can also think about sleep as nutrition and exercise as nutrition and stress reduction and resilience as nutrition. But at its core, functional medicine and functional nutrition subscribe to three primary tenants. And those three tenants are systems biology, root causes, and therapeutic partnerships. So just quickly, systems biology helps us understand that everything in the body is connected. We're not a bunch of ologies. Our brain is connected to our gut. Our hormones are connected to our liver. Our immune system and our inflammation is connected to our gut. And so that understanding helps us to see the whole instead of how we are normally treated in our healthcare today, where we see our psychologist for one thing, our endocrinologist for another thing, our gastroenterologist in another thing, we scrap that and say, Mm. you are a whole person. That's what systems biology means. Mm. Looking for the root causes means we ask, why is this sign or symptom or diagnosis happening? Not just what is it? So we don't say, I treat your diabetes or your Uh, Hashimoto's or your rheumatoid arthritis, we ask, why is it happening? And that therapeutic partnership is really key for me because it elevates the role of the client or the patient in the relationship. So by nature, functional nutrition is very individualized. And I've had the opportunity to not just be a clinician, but to create an online school where I've train about 4,000 clinicians a year in the practices and the modalities that I've created. So um, it's kind of hard to understand because it's a reframe on health, but it's really just saying, I embrace all of you. Mm-hmm. I think it was pretty easy to understand what you just said, but maybe it's me <laughs> because I'm like, I do not want to have to go see this doctor for this and this doctor for this and this doctor for this. Actually, I, I, um, I recently, well, recently, last September, so close enough, had a kidney stone for the first time in a long time. I hadn't had one in ages. And so it happened. Of course, it happened while we're on vacation. Of course, you know, and we were in Cape Cod and, um, right at the tip, Provincetown, right out there in the middle. There's no hospital for at least an hour, 20 minutes, right? But I'm like, okay, I think I can get through it. And it it came and it went. It it was one of those, like, it's moving. I knew because I've been through this. I kind of knew it. So we get all through this whole experience. And I finally get home. And it still hasn't passed. It's like, it's reduced. I got on the right medical. Yeah, yeah. But by the time we got to Boston, we got back to Boston. I went to the ER and they gave me, I don't know, some kind of medicine to like start to move it through. And I was like, cool. And then I had to go to, immediately from there to, to Florida for a business trip. Long story short, I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to do this anymore. But of course, they sent me to a urologist, right? I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go to that. That makes a little bit of sense. And I just wanted to hug this guy. Because the first thing he said when he walked in the door, he goes, so I understand you had a kidney stone. He goes, and it's probably still there, right? And I'm like, well, uh, yeah. He goes, well, it's not just the kidney stone I'm concerned with. Let's talk about you. Mm, Right. Let's talk about everything about you. Because I'm a urologist, but 
this little kidney stone is just one piece of the whole equation. Yes. And I was literally like, I literally was like, I love this guy. I wish this yeah. was my regular doctor exactly. because there was something interesting about him that it just was like, he was, yes, he was looking at his specialty, but he started like asking all the questions like, you know, what do you do for work? And do you sit a lot? Are you drinking water? You know, when you get to exercise, what is it you enjoy doing? You know, what's your stress levels like? You know, do you sleep? And I'm like, wow, you're asking more questions than my regular doctor normally asks me, you know? And he said, you know, you might consider this. He goes, you might consider talking to somebody in the functional medicine world. Yeah. Just because I'm going to give you some stuff and we're going to, it's going to work. But he goes, I think you might be better served starting to look at the other, other things too. Man, I was just like, well, can we clone him a few hundred times? Yeah. And I think functional medicine has, and I still think there's some gaps in the functional medicine model. And that's why I'm a you know, leader in the functional nutrition space, because right. even though the doctors can have those conversations and ask the questions, which in which you feel really honored, but right. in order to make the changes, it takes a little bit of a deep dive down. So right. in functional medicine, the toolkit still includes medical intervention. In functional right. nutrition, our toolkit is really understanding the story, what's going on physiologically in the body, yep. and then based on that information, how do we actually change diet and lifestyle modification to meet the needs of the individual? For instance, you talked about intermittent fasting, Rick, and yep. um, I too am a fan of intermittent fasting for myself. And there's right. a lot of great research around intermittent fasting, but it's not right for everybody, depending mm -hmm. on their relationship with food, food restriction, blood sugar issues, urology issues. Like there's a number of different issues that people don't consider right. when they adopt some theory that's right. fed to us as like the new be all end all. Right. But I think that's also the interesting thing that kind of like leads us to kind of the core of, okay, but what if you're LGBTQ and especially in the transgender space? Yes. And I never really appreciated my transgender brothers and sisters journey until I started having the opportunity to speak on some panels with them and realizing, first of all, I get all the stuff they go through to be who they are. But then when I would have conversations with how stressed they were and, and the depression that was happening. And the more I kept hearing almost in every story, well, they put me on this for my depression. They put me on this for this and they put me on this for this. I'm like, wow. Until one time, one of them said, I had a great experience because and I'm like, oh, this should be interesting because I worked with a functional medicine doctor and a functional nutritionist as I went through the transition. And I said, please tell me more yeah. just because I was like really curious, you know, and I'm a guy who I, I consider myself pretty freaking healthy for the most part, but okay. So kidney stone, I already shared that story. I've had a stroke. Um, so gone through that. Mm -hmm. And I just recently got diagnosed as diabetic, which, pisses me mm. off. Cause like I eat really well. I, 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 you know, I'm a little heavy, but I haven't really changed that much. And I swim and I exercise all this sort of stuff. And so even me, I'm like, okay, I'm doing some stuff, but if some of this stuff doesn't start to change, 
I'm going to be talking to some functional nutrition and medicine people because it's like something's here that, you know, could, and I've had friends who have done that, but in the transgender space, it's so interesting to me to see somebody who's like working so hard to be who they are mm-hmm. and then ignoring taking care of themselves as they go through mm-hmm. the journey. Yeah. And ignoring is a hard, I mean, there's so much there to unpack in terms of what the journey is and what it looks like. And, um, you know, that really leads me to what my interest was in working with transgender practitioners and seeing how there can be more functional medicine and functional nutrition practitioners helping LGBTQIA plus folks, because I don't think there is enough. I do not think this is a conversation Mm -hmm. that's happening enough in the functional medicine and functional nutrition spaces. And I do feel like I need to say I am a cisgendered, straight, white, middle-aged, able-bodied woman. I'm also a widow of 20 years. I'm a single mom and I founded a successful women-owned business. So I like to think of myself as a disciple of the human condition. What are all the factors that bring you to where you are seeking help today? And in gender-affirming care, we tend to think about that term in relation to the psychological and the surgical interventions related to transition. So the studies and the research are primarily around those two areas, the psychological and the surgical interventions. And yet there are so many other health conditions that transgender folks are struggling with as well. As you said, heart disease, diabetes, there's autoimmune conditions like Hashimoto's and rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Like we, none of us are exempt from these health struggles and the research into gender affirming care in primary care is very minimal. And in functional medicine and functional nutrition, like I said, I just don't hear it spoken about enough. And when we get there, we have to recognize that the people coming to us have likely experienced discrimination in their healthcare and may or may not have had access to healthcare throughout their life, depending on their family of origin, their experience, other marginalization that they experience in their life. So that really piqued my curiosity and led me to consider four different factors that make me feel like we're doing care for this population all wrong. And it's interesting because the population, not just the transgender, and I, I hate to, I'm gonna, I hate to say this, but I have to say this. So much happens in the LGBTQ space because of shame and guilt of who they are, that then it takes them down other paths, addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex, you know, I'm not saying everybody, most everybody who knows that listens to my podcast, I always don't, I'm not generalizing for everybody. I'm just saying this is what's more common. And even myself, as I came out of the closet, I, I got really unhealthy. I started drinking a lot, number one. 
but because of the stress of my divorce and you're going to read, I know, I know, I know Andre is going to reach through the screen and slap me right now. <laughs> <clears throat> I lived on top ramen and wine mm. for about a year because I was like going through a divorce. Yeah. I had two houses to suddenly have to let two households to kind of have to support alimony, child support, trying to be myself. Suddenly, you know, a guy who's been married for 13 years in his own codependency of I never had lived alone. Suddenly, okay, I don't have anybody, but yet I did because I had my kids every other, well, every few days I had the kids. It was a crazy, insane way we did it to come you know, start this whole thing. And I wasn't taking care of myself. But yet in that, I'm like, oh, cool. Look, I'm losing weight. I'm getting skinny. I'm like, you know, I'm on the manhunt. So I've got it, you know, whatever. To the point that there's a picture that exists that every once in a while, when I like really get in my like worst space about not loving myself or anything like that, I pull this picture out. And it's actually one of the first dates my husband and I went on. We're at the Getty Museum in LA. And it's a friend of ours had taken it. And it's like us standing on one of the beautiful, like, outdoor patios overlooking the ocean i weigh i had dropped 130 some pounds in mm. less than a year i did not look healthy i'm a big guy i'm a big boned guy and my arms were so skinny that my parents and i didn't have a good good going through with me coming out it was just was not smooth at all and the first time they saw me after quite some time they're like, oh, we get it. You're sick. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sick. No, you are. We, oh, now we understand why you're out. You're HIV positive, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm not. But this is one of those things where I think if I could have had the right, well, I had a great therapist, so that did help. But I think if I'd been having the right conversations with the right medical practitioners yeah, and going, come on, Rick. <laughs> And of course, again, I had a degree in nutrition. I'm like, do not eat that top ramen stuff. <laughs> yeah. The sodium yeah, alone is going to kill you, you know? I think the interesting thing is whether you like it or not, I'm not going to slap you because that's okay. <laughs> I, <laughs> as I said, whether you like it or not. But um, I think that, you know, our work in functional nutrition should be about uncovering what's leading to those patterns along with the patterns themselves, because the way we eat isn't always easy to change. And that can be for a number of reasons. And some of them are psychological, some of them behavioral, and some of them are physiological. And so it's our job to understand what's going on and help you make the connections in your behaviors. But as we'll talk about with trans folks, there's a lot of complexities with the body and how and what we eat and our history of eating. And that deserves care and attention. You know, something you and I share, Rick, is that passion for the story. You know, for me, that whole story is loaded with triggers, big T triggers, little T triggers, with traumas, big T traumas, little T traumas. And that's what helps us to really help somebody untie the knots yep. that got them to that particular place in their health, in their behavior, in their thinking and all of it. And it was interesting to watch myself start to like 
peel back the layers of all of this with myself because simultaneously as I was going through that, I had never, ever, I was, I had never owned a gym membership. Going to the gym was not my thing. If I was going to, I, I liked exercise, but going to the gym, nope. So of course, you know, I, I, I'm a single gay guy. You have to get to go to the gym, right? Get the abs, get the ass, all that stuff. And I suddenly like, I don't like going to the gym, but I discovered spin class mm. and I started spinning and spinning and spinning. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to start cycling. Well, then right after that, I got laid off mm. and I took a golden parachute from the job I was at. And I'm like, Ooh, I, got, <laughs> I got monies. And so that was the first time I started feeling pretty good about, okay, well, I got enough money. Now I can, I can actually like kind of balance out everything. And it was interesting to watch what I did because I took spin on as like a big thing. I took cycling on as a big thing, which metaphorically meant I was still running away from stuff. Right. Because, okay. And I know there's people who do this all the time because they're professional cyclists, but even they take a break. I lived in Laguna beach at the time. And I lived in a little teeny tiny studio apartment that I could have just the girls over when it was time for me to be daddy but it was like, I'd always wanted to live in Laguna Beach. So I got, I kind of, out of everything, I got to live my dream for a year and a half or so, but I was out of a job. So I do the, like, get on, you know, at the time, like we're on the computer sending all this stuff a little bit different than how we do it now. And then as soon as I like worked through stuff, I was on my bike yeah. and I was cycling 70 miles a day. Wow. So that was contributing. Not only that, now I'd kind of moved beyond top ramen at that point. But I was tied on the budget, right? So I was like, oh, I can only do this. And by then I was kind of back in my own nutrition head around some of this. But when I didn't have the kids, it's like cycle, watch what you eat, watch what you eat, watch what you eat, cycle, watch what you eat, watch what you eat, watch what you eat, right? And I started seeing the patterns of you need to lose some weight. You're a little stocky boy. You're a little fat boy. All that stuff from childhood started like... And I'm so glad that at that point, which, you know, functional nutrition was like, I mean, we're talking the nineties. So this was just be kind of becoming something that we yeah. ain't really calling it that yet, nope. <laughs> but there were rumblings of, Hey, what if started paying attention to this stuff rather than the other stuff. And because I was a spin instructor and I was like going through some trainings and stuff with that, I'm like, okay, let's pay attention. I really appreciated that even though I was not doing what I should, that the, the, the awareness was starting to show up for me and the questioning so that even now here I am like intermittent fasting guy. It's really interesting to see how much being in that space unpacks so much that I can truly be an intermittent fasting person and totally get why I'm doing it. Totally get what it, how it serves me totally understand that okay one day i might not do that for a day because hey we're out we're on a vacation somewhere yeah i'll do breakfast today but then the next day i'm like right back on it you know i think what helps in these high stress spaces so back to our beautiful trans brothers and sisters is when you can find here's my high stress point now how can i do the right thing with my body at the right time with my nutrition with these other things to help me move through the system's biology and all this other stuff, but yet make it easier and understandable for us to incorporate it into our personal life on a daily basis. And that's yeah, what I think you're doing. 
Well, it also, yes. And I do think we have to put the shoulds away because there's yes. a lot of body shoulds that we're unpacking. And for me, the things that really got me interested in working with trans communities and trans folks was less about where we get in the self-care and more about how we manage the medical interventions. Mm -hmm. So for me, my passion is working with people with chronic illness. That's my passion, really diving into where things just have, uh, aren't working as we would like them to work. So the four areas that really started to get me to think more about diving in were the biology, the surgery, the hormones, and the trauma. And the biology helps us to really come into, in teaching practitioners, for me at least, to more acceptance, right? So when we look at the biology of how we are formed in utero, there's a change. We start the same for seven or eight weeks. And then there are shifts in hormones and hormone suppressants that actually uh, turn the fetus into what we then term a girl or a boy. And there is a lot that could happen in utero in relation to hormonal exposure from mom and from right. our environment that can shift the expression of uh, what we think of as gender norms. Gender is a continuum. It is not polar. And so that understanding for me, once I understood the physiology was like, wait a minute, this is why transgender folks have existed through, throughout history. It's just something that happens throughout the lifespan of a embryo and a fetus. When I think then about surgery, and I'm gonna use a term here, and I'm all for gender affirming surgery. So I wanna say that, but surgery is an insult. And I say that in quotes, not because I think getting surgery is an insult, getting surgery is necessary. However, it's a mechanical trauma. When we have surgery, there is tissue injury, there is tissue inflammation, Surgery induces a cascade of physiological stresses in different phases. There's oxidative stress, enzymatic stress, energy stress. And when I share these, that's number two, right? Surgery is number two in the four that got me thinking about this. It's the desire to help people through it. Yes, you are having surgery. What's being measured before you have surgery? How are you healing from that surgery? How do we help your body to transition post-surgery, get ready pre-surgery? So recognizing surgery is a physiological insult. And I'm putting that in quotes, yep. but it is a mechanical trauma. Before I go on to the hormones, <laughs> do you have any thoughts or questions, Rick? <laughs> Well, it's just, I think what you're laying out is the groundwork for, I mean, I love what you just went through because, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go here and bash the medical community a little bit. Let's do it. I mean, well, it's a because, yes okay, end. So it's a yes like, end. We need yeah, it. And yeah. there's some changes that can be done. So a year ago, yeah, a year ago, I like a year ago, January. Of, so it would have been January, 2021. I fell and I broke my wrist and 
I was amazed that, okay, while I was waiting the 10 days or so to get, because I had to, I had to have surgery to fix it. It was that bad. And so as I'm waiting for the 10 days to, you know, get it done, here I am, you know, my arm in the sling and all this sort of stuff, learning to do all everything I did. I mean, I'm kind of crazy, man. I mean, I broke my wrist on a Friday morning by, you know, 11 o'clock Friday, I'm back at the desk doing my work. My husband's like, what in that, what is, what are you doing? I'm like, well, work's got to get done. I mean, life doesn't stop, you know? And he's like, aren't you hurting? I'm like, oh, not really. But all in that whole entire time, all the stuff that I was getting from doctors and the surgeon and all this sort of stuff, not one person said, here's what you should be doing to like really yeah. make sure you're feeding your body and taking care. And yeah, pre and post. Yeah, nothing. Right. I mean, if I'm going to the dentist and having anything done, I'm making sure because I know better when my son had his deviated septum fixed, right? I'm helping him, his body prepare for and recover from surgery. So yes to gender affirming surgery. And I believe people deserve help to prepare and recover from that surgery because it will induce other underlying or silent inflammation, right? So we have to remember what we are doing to the body to support it through the transitions. And I know I told you before we went live, Rick, I feel like this is my coming out show because these are hard things to talk about because we want to just be the yes for gender affirming care in its psychological and surgical and hormonal forms. And I am a yes for that, but I'm a yes and in an ideal setting. And I do feel like we have to get this kind of care, this adjunct care to more folks who may be going through. Not all transgender people uh, decide to have surgery or hormones. Why? So there's different decisions and opportunities based on a number of factors. And I just want to say, like, how can we help? How can we help oh. you instead of you don't need to suffer now, too? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting question, right? In and of itself is how can we help? Now I'm how not saying a doctor doesn't ask that question, but, and again, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bash a little bit. Like if you just asked me how you could help, then I would say, well, here's what I need. Okay. Right. And if I get you that, then how can we help you some more? I don't like that. The, when the question, well, here's what we're going to do. It's right. not even a question. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Here's the prescription. Here's the prescription. And that's not a therapeutic partnership, right? No. From a functional nutrition perspective, we are embracing trauma-informed care, which is another piece of the puzzle for me. And I also want to say, Rick, that as I was coming to my own desires to do this, when I got to the point of how can I help, it looked very different. Yep. So getting to these areas that... I was concerned about, which I'm sharing now, the biology, the surgery, the hormones, and the trauma, that was not even the conversation I was able to have. Right. And we'll get there because helping is sometimes a whole different thing than what we think it is. But yep. for me, as a functional medicine nutritionist, this is where my brain was that made me move into this arena and this desire to help. 
so the hormones, again, we need hormones for gender affirming care. What we know about hormone replacement therapy and its history is that it started in the 1960s. It was popularized in the 1990s. The first clinical trials were in the 90s. And the World Health Institute released its findings in 2002, showing that hormone replacement was more detrimental than beneficial in its effects. Now, mm. a lot has changed, and we are able to deliver bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for menopausal women. But I don't see that we're applying what we learned about hormone replacement to trans folks choosing hormone therapy through gender affirming care. And so again, it's the yes and yes, we need those hormones. And who's measuring your hormones? Are those hormones working for you? Are you detoxing the hormones you don't need so you don't have the ill effects of estrogen dominance, which are right. estrogen dominant cancers, right? So who's looking at it more holistically, more right. functionally so that we can say, yes to the hormones and yes to your health and your long-term life. And I know it's a big ask. I think we're far from being able to deliver this kind of care, but it's part of what just really drove my passions. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because in, in a lot of my listeners know this, but in the other side of my work, um, I coach professional speakers on building their speaking business. And I was speaking with one of them earlier today and um, he speaks about the addiction, addiction recovery world. And he's coming from a very similar space, you know, um, like we're doing this all wrong. Addiction yeah. recovery is all based in, on a lot of stuff. Not that all of it's bad, but there's like some other stuff that needs to be considered, you know, yes. and yes. we're missing some of that stuff. And he, he talks because of his own struggle with addiction and everything, but like, it's like, okay, but if I hadn't been prescribed this, then what would have happened? But then once it started to unroll, what could have been done differently and how I could have recovered quicker and not, you know, all this sort of stuff from understanding science better along with the emotional sort of yes. stuff. And he even brought up while we were chatting today, like even some nutrition stuff that yeah. Like, has helped me like really see who Huge. I am. And of course he's going to, he's coming up against like, well, but you're, you're saying we're bad. He's like, I'm just observing. This isn't the only way to get there. Right. Yeah. I like to think it's the 80, 20, right? right? Like what, what standard of care may work for 80% of the people. It doesn't work for 20% of the people. Those are the people who fall into the gap that I that I want to train people to work with. And so how do we actually make care work for the 20%, not just the 80%? And that's where we come up against those barriers that it seems like we're naysaying when we're not. We're like, yes, and. And how am I doing in my public speaking, Rick, as a coach? <laughs> oh, I'm ignoring you right now because you're not doing very well at it. Okay. I told you I was going to take you on a ride with this. I'm very good at like catching something. I'm like, okay, she asked a question. I'm going to play that out. So, uh, no, but it, it, it is interesting because even as I was sitting there, I was listening to you. And I was, I was thinking about what you were saying. It's, it's one of these things like 
for me, okay, because it's all about me. So we're gonna come back to Rick. Um, even my doctor said, "Oh, I don't know if intermittent fasting is the best thing for you as a diabetic." And I said, "Well, first of all, I'm just just barely over the line. So I'm trying to roll this back by doing a lot of right things right now to see, and it's hereditary. Okay, I'm gonna put that out there too. My family has it too, but." let me do the thing that I know is working for me to like get the weight off. And let's, let's, let's take that approach first to see if this really, if I can do some of this with like the weight and the diet first. And then if you feel like that's not working, but let me kind of go prove this. Now I do like her uh, cause she's a, she's a nurse practitioner, but I'm like, how diminishing to me is the patient. Yeah. I realize you're trying to give your professional opinion but you could have said, well, that's one avenue to it. How's that working for you? Exactly. Didn't ask that question. Exactly. And kudos for taking that step, Rick. Like, right. you know, being able to acknowledge that you're taking a proactive right. step and that it's part of your agency. In well, I'm not as, I'm not as dumb as I look. I'm just saying, I really am not. <laughs> of course, that's when, okay. So finally, my nutrition and dietetics background kicked in. It's like, okay, well. <laughs> Mr. Rick, what would you do in this situation? Right. But I feel like this is part of the, the, the challenge, even though Rick can't kind of talk suddenly, this is part of the challenge of here's the box. We play in this right. box. We play in this yes. box. Yes. You know, and I'm concerned that we've created a box for gender affirming care as well that focuses mm -hmm. on the gender affirmation surgery and alone. And I know people who are doing great work in gender affirming care and the psychology and doesn't look at the rest of the human body and the history of that human body and what other conditions might be at play in that body. That is exactly what I'm saying here. We've, we've created another box and it's an important box. It's a critical box, but how do we widen the walls of that box? Oh, of course, we could call it a closet too. You're, you've created a closet, a closet that we need to put, yeah. you know, yeah, exactly. But what I love about how you just came into that approach with that is it is about, okay, so transgender people are being put into a closet, a box. And now here, here's how we're going to do this as you go through the transition. I love that. I love that you really get this because it's like not all transgender are going to go through, you know, they're not going to go through the surgeries. Yeah. But how do we help them find this um, in their world, in their own way? And when I, when I, you know, like, it's kind of like working with my people that I work with. It's like, I always get the question, well, okay, but okay. Just tell me how I do this. How do I, how do I come out of the closet? What's the, I'm like, there is no blueprint. Nope. There is. I mean, there's ways I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you every, resource that I can, but I would be a really crappy coach if I said, okay, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this because those check boxes aren't going to work for some of you. But tell me, like, tell me why this is important to you. Yes. Tell me what scares you the most. Yeah. Tell me what you don't want to lose if you can keep from losing that. Tell me what would make you most proudest on the other side of the door, so to speak. That to me is the same thing that anybody that's doing any of this healing work, which is what you do too. If we're not asking the right questions and hearing those that we're meant to serve, we might as well just hang up the hat right now. 
And sometimes yeah. I feel like in the medical community, it's like, I've got five minutes, seven minutes to, you know, diagnose you. Great. Here you go. Here's the print. Here's the script. See ya. Yeah. There's not enough listening to the, the person, the human. Yes. And that brings me right to the fourth point that really concerns me. But to reflect on what you're saying, Rick, I always say there's no protocol. There's a framework, right? There's a framework for how we think into the case, but there's no protocol. And I have a lot of nurses and a lot of dietitians who come through my program because they were hoping for more patient-centered care in their work, and it's not what they actually get to do. So they're trying to rewrite their careers. However, they have the hardest time in the beginning of learning functional nutrition counseling because they're so used to the protocol and what I call the X for the Y. Here's this, here's what you do. And that's not how functional nutrition works. Two people with the same diagnosis got there for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so the reversal or management is going to look different. Yeah. And the fourth point that I was going to talk about. I was hoping you'd get there at some point. I'm like, girl, sorry. we're almost done here. So, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> is trauma. So we talked about biology, surgery, hormones, and trauma. And there's a lot of research around trauma-informed care now, and it tends to take place in the psychological realm as opposed to the physiological realm. It is moving there. But we know the research shows us that people who have experienced adverse childhood experiences of any sort are also then more prone, more at risk to experiencing uh, chronic conditions, usually related to autoimmunity and pain-related conditions. And so how do we embrace that for, our, for the trans folks that are looking for care? How do we recognize that they may or may not, to different extents, have a history that is informed by some kind of trauma, and how do we hold that? And there are steps to hold that as a uh, practitioner, but really, as part of this conversation, I know that when people are receiving the surgical and therapeutical, therapeutic parts or psychological parts of gender-affirming care, they are receiving trauma-informed care. But if we widen the box or open the closet, how do we bring that into all, all of our practices, whether our practices are geared towards gender-affirming care or not? How do they become gender-affirming care so that trans folks feel safe and welcome in our practices exploring their diabetes, their BMI that might be keeping them from surgery, their right. autoimmune condition. How do we all become more trauma-informed and gender-affirming? That's really the final point that kind of led me to raise my hand and have a scholarship group where I could right. try it out which is really amazing and beautiful. And speaking of a scholarship group, you are looking for some people for some other stuff, right? I am. I'm writing a See book. See how good I was with that segue? I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's, we're going to get this in before we wrap this baby up. Yeah, I just need to say that the learning experience and the doing is different, different than the theory, which I, I shared. And um, I do have to mention that trans teens are at a far greater risk of experiencing disordered eating 
mm. probably like four times greater. There's certainly gender dysphoria that can lead to body dissatisfaction. And there's social oppression and oppression-based trauma that lead to the need to really carefully address self-care. So self-care is less about the shoulds and what we could be doing and more about creating that space of safety for looking at the connections between how we talk about food or when it's appropriate to talk about food. Maybe we have to talk about sleep for six months before we can even touch the food, right? Because there's a lot there in terms of um, disordered eating patterns because of that uh, body dissatisfaction, yep. which is tough. And that leads me to your segue. <laughs> just wanted to get that point in because it's pretty crazy. I was like going, girl, come on, come on. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a lot to unpack. Like I said, um, I am in the process of writing a book. Uh, I have a publisher book will likely be published in 2024. I'm looking to create case study groups. I have applications that are live and I want diversity in those groups so that I can test the model of care, the model of self-care, actually, on um, people of different bodies and races and genders and gender identities and sexualities. So you can find more about me and that application at andrianakiyama.com. I bet you feel really inspired by this work. I feel really inspired by this work. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's amazing opportunity, and it, there's so much richness to it. Mm -hmm. And um, working with people, as you know, is just heartening and humbling all the time. That's what really finding your passion is all about. Truth. Yeah. So, okay. So I brought you out of the closet finally. So there you go. You got your wish you. was, you know, granted. <laughs> so, um, but, um, so if people, um, want to connect with that, let's give them that website one more time so they can know how they can be a part of the case studies. So yeah, Andrea Nakayama.com. And I know that's all hard to spell. Andrea is more like Andrea. That's how people know to spell it. And Nakayama is like, it sounds lots of A's. Awesome. And we will have all that on the website when the podcast goes live, which is live today. If you're listening to it, it's live. You didn't wave some magic wand and teleport this thing into your bean. So, um, but I'm so glad we got connected. Me of course, too. now I'm ready to like say, okay, you're done. But uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but uh, I love that you, you come from this space of being very informative and fun, but like being genuine about here. Here's why I'm doing this. This is why yeah, this is important to me, you know? So, yeah. um, but anyway, thank you so much thank for you. being here and being part of this yeah. and supporting our community in the way that you are, you know, and if anybody is listening to this, this, I mean, we talked a lot about our transgender, beautiful people in that world, but it's not just about that. There's lots of stuff that Andrea is like, really like, yeah, let's, let's get you part of the case studies. Let's see what happens here because yep. food is for everybody and nutrition's for everybody. And yep. having some relationship with all of that in relationship to all of who you are is one of the main reasons I really wanted to have this conversation. Yeah. And I promise I won't put anyone on a diet. That's not what this case study is about. 
Nope. We won't, and we won't put you, we won't put you on intermittent fasting either. No way. Unless we know it will work. Because if we know it, if you're one of those that like, I bet Andre and I could kind of like, okay, we think we, based on what you say, we're going to tell you something that might kind of be scary at first. Oh, my husband, like, no, I can never do that. I'm like, I know, bitch. I know you couldn't because you're like, I got to eat first thing in the morning. Just like you got to have coffee. Intermittent fasting would not work for you. So I'm, I would never even attempt to put him on that. But um, anyway. Yeah. All right. So, well, we've healed the world with this conversation. So I guess we're done. Thanks. No, it's been fun. Thank you so much. And um, I hope everybody takes the time to really take in some of this and think about your own space, your own whole body, not just what you're putting into your mouth. Like how does this all affect you as a person, your whole being from your mind to your body, to your soul. And um, gives you one more thing to go live your life uncloseted. So see everybody again. Well, I won't see you. I always say that at the end. of. I'll see you next week. It's like, no, you'll hear me next week. So take care, everybody. Have a great week. And thanks for listening to Life Uncloseted. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end. And it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life on Closet. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted and never stop stepping out, stepping up and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.